0: Her butt off for us over the last two weeks. She's done three replenish conferences. She did Auckland last weekend. She did Christchurch and Wellington simultaneously this this weekend just gone. She just, literally just got off a plane from Christchurch only a few hours ago. Get this tonight, her preaching tonight will be her 14th message that she preaches over these last two weeks. I, I tell you, we're working it so hard. But Carolina, we just so appreciate the investment you've made into our movement, into our church. We so love your heart and all that you've brought. And I'd really believe that you've left a great deposit with us as a church. And church, can we just stand to our feet? Can we honour Pastor Carolina as she comes for the 14th time to share the Word of God tonight? Oh, that's actually quite funny, isn't it? 14 times, but it's been a blast. It's been a blast, can we pray quickly? Lord Jesus, we thank You for this service tonight. Father, this 5 p.m. service in Auckland, New Zealand. Father, I thank You that You've brought us all here for a purpose. Father, I thank You that heaven has an agenda for our lives in this moment, that this moment has never existed before and it will never exist again. And so we are diligent and we're leaning in and we're expectant. Lord God, we love You but we know that you loved us first. And so tonight we we wanna hear from heaven. I pray that they wouldn't be my words, but it would be the voice of heaven into someone's life tonight. And anyone who agreed said, Amen. amen. All right, grab a seat, say hi to someone before you sit down. Amazing, it has been such a great time. Two weekends, I was able to go home in between so that was nice because we're just next door neighbours. We're like three hours away. No worries. And um, so that was awesome. Got to see the kids and they let me go again because I always bring back presents. So it's like, sure, you can go and, and they check every time we talk. Have you bought me anything yet? So it's awesome. It's been a great time and I love your church. I reckon that Stephen Beck saved the best till last because there's such an amazing atmosphere here tonight. And um, I heard it was a a big day in football today for some. Um, But uh, tonight, State of Origin, anybody watching the Origin? So our church is watching the game after the service on the big screen. Any Queensland supporters? All right, I have a few friends in the room. We've got some maroon on over here and even a beanie. Amazing. Go Queensland. So good. (laughs) All right, it is my 14th session, so I'm not sure what I may say. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Tonight, I wanna share around the topic of being a culture setter. Have you noticed, I don't know whether it's just Australia, it might be the same in New Zealand, but most of culture is anti-God. Yeah, yeah, Have you noticed? Yeah. you noticed? And I'm really well aware that tomorrow, you go into workplaces and predominantly are ungodly workplaces. And many of us go into families where our family members don't understand our faith. Um, some of us have friends who don't understand what we believe and actually may even ridicule and judge us for what we believe. And so we're in, in a church service on Sunday and it's amazing and it's inspiring and it fills us up and it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. And then tomorrow, who knows, Monday cometh. Monday cometh, saith the Lord. And we have to do something with what it is we receive on a Sunday. How do we actually appropriate this tomorrow? And in a culture that seems to be anti-God. You know, God is not surprised that there's a guy in the workstation next to you who is living a less than desirable life. In fact, the reason He's got you there is for that guy. And he's not surprised at all that your family might give you a hard time or misunderstand you. In fact, the reason he's got you there is for them. God has never once been surprised or intimidated by culture. Right the way through history, right the way through Scripture, we see the most atrocious things happening in culture and God always has a plan and it's always you and me. And He's always right the way through Scripture raised up men and women to turn culture on its head. And so today I want to look at this idea of how am I meant to be a culture setter? Because sometimes it's so confronting. And it is. It can be intimidating. It can look impossible. But I want to tell you, God doesn't see it that way. And God's mission is you. You're His plan of action And so tonight, I wanna have a look at this idea of how to live a life of excellence, how to live a life that changes culture, actually changes culture, that walks into an ungodly setting and can change the atmosphere. We're not meant to reflect the atmosphere. We're meant to set the atmosphere. You and I carry the presence of God. You and I have the living Saviour on the inside of us and we have the ability to shift culture. So how do we do that? Well, you know what, I reckon that the book of Daniel tells us exactly how to do that. Daniel was a guy in the Old Testament and he was only a teenager when he was forcefully abducted from his godly upbringing. Him and all the other young Israelite boys were abducted by the Babylonian king and forced into three years of training. Now you have to understand when the Bible refers to Babylon, Babylon is a symbol of the world. So Babylon is actually a symbol of the world system. So we have these young boys taken out of a godly framework, away from their families and their culture and forced into the world, the system of the world, three years of training in Babylon, three years of brainwashing. Now, I don't know whether you've ever felt like that, but I kind of felt like that when I did my four and a half years of university. You know, sitting in the lectures that were so secular and so opposed to God and feeling like I actually needed to cleanse and purge at the end of every lecture because of the system that was being forced on us. It's okay to call it what it is. And it was an ungodly system. This is what these boys were forced into for three years. And the story goes that he's, he's dragged in with all the other, other young men and the king of Babylon says, give all these young men all the delicacies off my table in their diet. Except that Daniel and his three friends, you may have heard of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, had a pre-existing commitment to God in their diet. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Daniel fast. Anyone, you love it, don't you? And you do it six times a year, right? No, because it's literally... Fruit, vegetables and water, that's it. And so Daniel says to the eunuchs who were the men in charge of looking after these boys, he says, you know, I actually have this pre-existing commitment in my diet, I'd prefer not to eat all the delicacies on the king's table, is it all right with you if I maintain my diet? The eunuchs were concerned because they realised if they let these boys eat like this, then probably they'd lose their jobs because the boys would be gaunt and skinny and, and malnourished. And Daniel said to them, no, please, let me at least just trial it and I'll prove to you that you have nothing to worry about. So they agreed and after a period of time, the king interviews Daniel and the three other guys and finds them, it says in Scripture, to be 10 times better than every other young man. Can you say 10? We're not talking about just twice as good. 10 times better than every other young guy and not only every every other young guy but every other trained professional that was teaching them. 10 times better. And so the king's like, well, that's impressive. And, And so they're allowed to maintain their diet. And it goes on that the king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Can you say that, Nebuchadnezzar? He starts having these unsettling dreams and he has a whole workforce of astrologers and magicians and enchanters and, and, and that's part of the school that Daniel's in, the supernatural school. And so he calls them all in he's like, can someone tell me what these dreams mean? No one can tell him what they mean. Not even the trained um, mature guys know what the dreams mean. So the king who has a short temper He's like, well, what's the good? What's the use of having any of you? Just kill them all. Kill all of them, every single one of them. They're useless. And Daniel hears about this. And obviously, because he's a part of that cohort, he's like, well, my neck's on the chopping block as well. This is not good. If someone can get me an audience with the king, I'll fix this problem. At this point, he doesn't know how to fix the problem. He just knows he needs to fix the problem. And so he prays, good idea, right? He prays and God gives him the answer and tells him what the dreams mean. So the king allows him to interpret the dreams and he interprets the dreams. And so he's promoted and his friends are promoted. And so here he is, he's promoted, him and his three friends, and we see that he's Um, goes on and he actually in his lifetime serves under three ungodly kings and continues to get promotion after promotion after promotion in a culture that is anti-God under leaders that don't know God and are opposed to God, Daniel and his friends shine. And so we see after this that Daniel goes into a season of silence. We don't actually hear about Daniel again for, for 20 years. And some of us may be tonight feeling like we're in that season. And I want to say to you, if that's you, God has not forgotten about you. He's not done with you. He still knows exactly where you are, who you are, and what the call is on your life. And I want to tell you, if that's you, please be encouraged tonight, because God does His best work in obscurity. God does His best work when we feel like we've been forgotten by man, when we feel like we've been forgotten. God has not forgotten. Just wait. Just wait. Stay true. Because what we see then is a little while later or a long while later, there's a new king named Nebuchadnezzar. Can you say Nebuchadnezzar? (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar is a wild party animal, throws parties all the time. And so one night they're having this party and there's this supernatural Script that appears on the wall writing on the wall like a hand from out of nowhere is writing something on the wall And no one can decipher what it says But there's somebody there that goes hang on Who's that guy ages ago that could interpret dreams? Maybe he could read this go and get him What was his name Daniel go and get Daniel so they get Daniel and Daniel can decipher what's on the wall Almost immediately, Nebuchadnezzar gets overthrown by another guy named Darius, much easier to say. Can you say Darius? And Darius has already heard of Daniel. He's had his finger on the pulse. He's well aware of what's up in the kingdom. And he had intended to promote Daniel to one of his personal advisors almost immediately, except that Daniel had made some enemies among his peers. Who knows that sometimes when you stand out from the pack, People get jealous. People get intimidated. And that's exactly what happened for Daniel because some of his friends, not so great friends, get around King Darius and they start flattering him. Darius, you're a big deal. You're awesome. Has anyone told you just how awesome you are? Because flattery can get you away. You know, it can actually get you somewhere. It's not a great idea, but they're flattering him. You're awesome. And Darius is like, yeah, I am kind of awesome. Tell me more about myself. And so they start telling him how awesome he is and that, you know what, you're so great that you should institute a law where no one in the kingdom can pray to anyone else or worship any other God but you for 30 days. And he's like, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's do that. And he signs this law that says no one can pray or worship to any other God except King Darius. So these guys have set Daniel up because they know he's gonna be praying to the God of Israel. And so I wanna read to you out of Daniel chapter six, the punishment for this. If you're caught worshiping or praying to anyone else, you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Anyone been to Sunday school, right? This is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And so it says here in chapter six of the book of Daniel, now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, He went into his house. Now in his chamber, roof chamber, his windows were open towards Jerusalem. I love that he didn't hide this. His windows were open. He continued to get down on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had previously been doing. And so the leaders, these guys who set him up, are waiting. They catch him. They drag him before Darius. Darius realizes he's been set up but he has to honor his own law. So he throws Daniel in the lion's den and we read in the Bible that he spends a restless night praying and fasting for Daniel all night, he can't sleep. In the morning he gets up and goes to the lion's den and he sees Daniel and he's fine and the lions are as calm as anything, nothing's happened that their mouths have been supernaturally closed overnight. He pulls Daniel out of the lion's den and throws in the guys who set him up and the lions have breakfast, right? And so then Daniel goes on and continues to get promoted. Here this guy is used as a mouthpiece by God into an ungodly culture. He speaks to leaders. He is effective in culture without compromising. I want to ask you this question. Is it possible to honour without compromise? Is it possible for you in your workplace to honour without compromise? Is it possible for you in your family to honour your loved ones without compromising your faith? Well, according to Daniel, it's absolutely possible, and in fact, it's the call of God on our lives, in our world, that He puts us in. God has done it over and over and over and over again. Men and women with a burning conviction who do this so effectively, who face culture and bring change. He's done it over and over again. And so tonight, just two thoughts out of this story in the book of Daniel on how to do that. How do you change culture? How are we meant to be culture setters? Two things, you need to have an excellent spirit and resolute convictions. An excellent spirit and resolute convictions. Twice in the book of Daniel, it uses that term, excellent spirit. In the the fifth chapter and the sixth chapter, Daniel had an excellent spirit. Do you know what that means to me? Because when I read the story, I'm like, how did he have an excellent spirit? He was a problem solver. You know, I've noticed, I've noticed that it doesn't actually take a genius to recognize a problem. Everyone can identify a problem, am I right? Everyone has an opinion about what's going on. They say that opinions are like armpits. We all have them and they usually stink. And as a leader, I've found that people can be quite liberal with how they offer me their observations about everything that's not right. And I feel like saying to them, thank you very much, but unless you have a solution, please go away. I too have identified the problem. I don't need your help identifying the problem. The people who I listen to are the ones who say, I saw a problem, don't worry, it's already been sorted. A problem solver is a culture setter. And we see this in Daniel's life because there was a problem. We're actually all going to die if someone doesn't interpret the king's dreams. Problem, right? I'm going to fix it. I don't know how to, but I'm going to stand in the gap and fix it. And so this is what it takes to be a problem solver is to see a need and fill it. And those kinds of people gain favour. Those kinds of people don't say, oh, it's not my department. Those kinds of people don't say, oh, that's someone else's responsibility. Because culture setters own their culture. And they understand if I'm going to change it, I need to take responsibility for it. And so we see needs and we fill needs. That's what it takes to have an excellent spirit. That's what sets us apart from everyone else. Because greatness does what everyone else is trying to avoid doing. Greatness is on the other side of inconvenience. It's not on this side. We all want greatness, but some of us are not willing to do what it takes to get there. But culture setters inconvenience themselves. Culture setters do what everyone else is avoiding. What everyone else is just talking about, culture setters are fixing and getting done. And they're getting the attention and they're getting the promotion, and they're changing culture, because they're problem solvers. We need to cultivate that excellent spirit. And I just wanna say excellence and perfection are not the same thing. Perfection is often a lie, and it's a cruel taskmaster that you'll never be able to satisfy. But excellence is the culture of heaven. Excellence is a posture of the heart. Excellence is a beautiful motivation that doesn't drain us, but it motivates us. And to cultivate an excellent spirit is the spirit of heaven. The language of the spirit is excellence. The language of the flesh is laziness. And so we need to be careful which language we're speaking. Is it the language of the spirit or the language of the flesh? I have this friend who uh, went to the army and I was really supportive of him going to the army because he's quite sarcastic and annoying at times. And so I thought they might beat it out of him. Yeah. They did not, unfortunately. But he came back from the army and he told all these stories. And, you know, everything we see in the movies is actually true. They beat these these men and women down so much. I mean, these people sleep with their eyes, one eye open. There are alarms that ring at 3 a.m. for no reason except just to keep them on their toes so they have to get up out of bed, make their beds, do the corners right, straighten up in the corridors. And if they don't do it right, they get yelled at and sworn at and punished and all sorts of things. It's all real. And so he told these amazing stories. He told this one story of his first week where um, his whole... Um, group that he had come in with, they were all in the mess tent with everyone else having dinner and um, they're at their table and they said to him, they said to their group, "You, you guys are allowed to eat dinner but you're not allowed to eat dessert. Everyone else eats dessert but you rookies, you're not eating dessert. So it went on for a couple of days but this friend of mine doesn't really tolerate that sort of thing so on about the third day, he started eating dessert. And, and one, of the, um, one of the higher ranking guys pulls him aside and starts yelling at him, you're not allowed to eat dessert. You're told you're not allowed to eat dessert. And this friend of mine says, well, you know what? I've read the bylaws and I know I have a food allowance which allows me dessert. So you actually don't have a leg to stand on, I'm eating my dessert. And so there's a platoon lieutenant who overhears this and laughs, loves that this has just happened, and he dismisses the whole thing and walks in and announces to everyone, everyone gets to eat dessert. So don't we all love that guy? Yeah, right? We all love that guy. But there's this other story he told of a lesson that they were in, a leadership lesson, and the platoon lieutenant asked all the young privates to define leadership. And so, you know, all the textbook answers start coming out. Leadership is position. Leadership is delegation. Leadership is influence. All those sorts of things. It gets to this friend of mine, and, and he says, well... From my understanding, there are four types of leadership. We lead down, which is what everyone here has been describing, the people that we're responsible over. But we also lead across, where we lead our peers. We lead up, where we lead our bosses, by being problem solvers, by performing well. And then we lead in, which is actually the most important form of leadership, is self-leadership. And so the platoon lieutenant sort of goes, right, we're done here and dismisses everyone else and holds my friend back and says to him, where did you learn this? And he says, well, I learned it in church. That's how Christians speak and that's what we believe about leadership. And the platoon lieutenant was like, I have never in my whole career met a young private coming in at your level to understand leadership the way that you've just described it. I wanna tell you, the spirit on the inside of you will set you apart from the rest, and I just wanna encourage you never to take for granted what is being sown into your life on a Sunday, in a a connect group, around the family of God, because God is sowing greatness into your life, not just so that you can be encouraged, but because you're going out there tomorrow, and because you're called to change culture, you're called to stand out. God never intended you to blend in, to change culture, you have an excellent spirit. And so how did Daniel actually develop this excellent spirit? How did he get this? Well, he found it here, on his knees. You know, we never graduate from this position. And actually, the Christians who do, who feel that they, need, they can move on from here are the ones who lose their voice because we're not smart enough (laughs) to turn culture around. You may be really cute, you may be really intelligent, you may, you have a couple of guys patting each other on the front row. (laughs) (laughs) But you're unfortunately not enough to turn the culture that you're a part of. And when we're here is when we receive the downloads of heaven. And this is where the change happens. And God gives us strategies here that sometimes don't make sense in the natural, but they work. Can you imagine when God told Joshua to march around the walls of Jericho? Great idea, God. Yeah, I'll march around fortified walls and they'll come down, but it worked. David, just go after Goliath with a slingshot. Right, good idea, awesome, but it worked. And so these supernatural ideas, these strategies we find here. Some people say that Jesus won the battle at Golgotha. I reckon he won it at Gethsemane. The night before, when he wrestled in his soul and he won the battle within himself. It's only when you win on your knees that you can win out there. Battles are won here, not out there. Public victories are won in private. And we have to understand this and everywhere I go lately, I'm feeling like God is calling the church back to this position. I feel like we've gotten so smart with all the information we have access to that we've run ahead and God's going, no, you're missing it. You're not as powerful as you could be, come back here. I've got some strategies for you that will blow you away. And so we cultivate it here on our knees, that excellent spirit, that spirit that breaks through and makes change and gets downloads. And as we do that, we become people that are set apart. You know, you should be in your workplace an answer to your boss's problems. And I didn't say you should be one of your boss's problems. You should be an answer to your boss's problems. You should make their lives easier. And (laughs) all the bosses said. That's what's going to set you apart. That's what's going to give you a voice. That's what's going to give you permission is when we do that, when we become those sorts of people. And you know what? You're God's ambassador. What that means is you're a brand representative. Please represent this brand well. Please represent Jesus in a way that is fitting. We need to do that well, and that is with a culture of excellence. And the second thing is that we need to have resolute convictions. Daniel lived by convictions. And I want to say, may your convictions outweigh your fears. We all have an element of fear or doubt or question but our convictions, when they outweigh them, we step into the supernatural. We step into the realm of possibility. We move beyond the natural and what we understand and into the great things God wants us to do. May your convictions outweigh your fears. And this is the thing. Daniel had preexisting commitments with God that he maintained. We need to make sure that our yes is a yes and a no is a no. If you have commitments to God, Do not compromise on them, regardless of what the culture says to you. Hold your convictions, because that's gonna make you a culture setter. That will help you set culture, not just reflect culture. You know, When you're having a hard time, when seasons are coming that are opposing and that are difficult, they're gonna be the seasons where the last thing you wanna do is honor the greeting roster on the door. They're gonna be the seasons where the last thing you wanna do is to turn up on a Sunday. I wanna tell you they're exactly the seasons you should be honoring your commitments. In your hard times, in the face of opposition is when you should honour your previous commitments because that's when you build credibility and spiritual muscle to get you through because your option is either to back away or to lean in and you lean in by standing on your convictions. It's what strengthens you and it's what gives you credibility It's what gives you credibility is when we can do that. Jesus said, Matthew five, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. And he said, anything else is from the devil. That's pretty heavy. Let your yes be yes and your no be no because the enemy is relentlessly trying to get you to compromise. He will try so many things to get you to compromise, to get you to water down who you are and what you believe. And you know, he's not all that creative. He's not all that strategic and clever. He's got no new tricks, all right? We need to stop giving him more credit than he deserves. And I've found that he only used, everything he does boils down to one of two tactics. And the first one is the fear of missing out. Hashtag FOMO, right? Daniel, if you don't eat off this table, you're gonna be skinny, you're gonna be less than the others. Not true. I wanna tell you, God is not holding out on you. When he tells you, don't do that, he's not holding out on you. He wants you to be 10 times better than everybody else. 10 times better. Don't give in to the lie that you're gonna miss out. God will not ever let you miss out. He is setting you up to be 10 times better. The other tactic the enemy uses is threats and intimidation and fear. Daniel, if you do this, you're risking your life. Hey, if you do that, you might lose your job. If you do that, you might be persecuted. If you stand up for what you believe, then threat, 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 threat. But do you know what, when you know who your God is, then the need for human validation is eliminated. When you know your identity is rooted in a creator, a father who intended and made you for a purpose, who placed you here for a reason, then you're not gonna be as intimidated by man. Intimidation is real, it is very real, until we turn our gaze heavenward and we remember that God is sovereign, that He's mighty, that He has great (laughs) intentions towards us, that He loves the world and He put us in it. And so this intimidation isn't so scary and so huge suddenly. I've noticed this other amazing thing. As I was reading into this, I went to the source of all inspiration and understanding, Dr. Seuss. And he told me this. He said, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. What I noticed out of the life of Daniel is that it wasn't the kings who had a problem with him. It was his peers. And sometimes we get so busy being caught up by small thinking people who are just trying to limit us and the people above us, you know, I've noticed that great men and women, whether they're Christian or not, understand the value of convictions and they're often not intimidated by mine. The ones who are intimidated are the ones who are trying to compete with me. Stop scratching around with chooks when you're called to soar with eagles. Think bigger, think bigger. Don't be limited by what some small thinking person is trying to intimidate you with. You serve a big God. Be brave, think big, shake that off and move into the bold things that God wants you to do because you can change culture if you stand on your convictions. You absolutely can and you'll be amazed. You'll be absolutely amazed the ones you thought would be offended actually won't be. They actually won't be. Understanding the value of, of conviction is a huge thing. And just in wrapping up, if I could have the music team back up, Daniel 11 is amazing. 11 verse 32. This is a promise. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Do you know him? Do you know him? Because when you know him, it changes everything. When you really know the nature and intention of God, fear melts away. Intimidation melts away. All the lies pale next to the promise that God gives us, his goodness. Do you know him? He's called you to do great exploits. He's called you to do great things in culture, to be a culture setter. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight? I realize that there are possibly some people in the room tonight and maybe early on in the message, you kind of discounted yourself because maybe you've already compromised. I so sense this because I know exactly what that feels like to be sitting in your seat right now. To feel like, yeah, well, this amazing guy, Daniel, he didn't compromise, but I have. I have, I've, I've sold out. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to believe that you're alone in that. And I wanna tell you, my friend, that there is nothing you've done, nothing that's been done to you that can separate you from the will and love of God for you. Absolutely nothing, nothing you've done, nothing that's been done to you that lessens your value, lessens your worth, changes the purpose of God on your life. You were intended. You were planned. You're dynamic. You are powerful. And those lies are just trying to limit you. They're trying to get you to back away from the potential that lies dormant on the inside of you right now. There is nothing that can separate you from God's will and purpose and love for your life. He's just waiting for you to step up. He's just waiting for you to come back, and it's never too late. It's never too late. There's never too much water under the bridge. He's one decision away. So if that's you tonight, I remember being in your shoes. Maybe this is the first time you've heard a message like this. Maybe you're coming back after a long time. I remember being there and being offered an invitation like this, someone stood in front of me and preached a message and said, do you wanna make Jesus the Lord and Saviour of your life? Do you wanna come back to Him? I responded to that decision and I wanna tell you, it was the best decision of my life and it has shaped every decision and every day since then. I walked out of a past and into a future that I actually don't deserve, living a life I don't deserve because He's that good. He's that good and He has no favourites. He loves you the same. And so today I wanna offer you that invitation. Do you wanna make Jesus the Lord and Saviour of your life? In a few moments, I'm gonna count to three. And if that's you, I'd love for you to raise your hand so that I know who to pray for tonight. So if that's you and you wanna make Jesus the Lord and Saviour of your life, on the count of three, I'd love for you to give me a wave. One, you need to know that God loves you more than you will ever understand. Two, you need to know he's not upset with you. He's not disappointed. Actually, he thinks you're incredible and he's waiting for you. Three, if that's you and you want to respond, make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, would you give me a wave tonight as I look across? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. You might be wrestling. I want you to know these are not my words. This is God reaching out to you, your heart's racing. Would you respond? Give me a wave tonight as I look across one last time. Anyone like that? Awesome, thank you, thank you. Amazing. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in a moment just like this, everything changes. The heart of repentance that admits, God, life without you is a loss and I wanna come back to You. I wanna come back to You and make You the Lord and Saviour of my life. Father, I thank You that Your Word tells us in this moment we are washed white as snow, that in this moment the old has gone and the new has come that in this moment we become sons and daughters of a living God adopted into your family. In the moment of repentance, salvation and forgiveness and mercy comes in like a flood. I thank you for your goodness, Holy Spirit, that comes and draws us back to yourself. And your Scripture tells us that right now, all of heaven rejoices for the ones who come back to you. And we rejoice as well and we say, God, you're so good. Father, I thank you that right now, these ones who have responded, we saw hands, God, but you saw hearts. And maybe there are others who didn't raise their hands, but they've responded in their hearts and you're totally okay with that. Father, I thank you for a hedge of protection around these decisions. Father, I pray that they be found in a healthy community of accountability to help them move forward in the plans and purposes that you have for them in this life and the next. Father, we thank you for the gift of salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give them a huge round of applause. Amen. Let's stand, church. We're going to spend some time worshiping. This
1: sings my soul.